Uh, let's read the scripture together. All right. Um, yeah, let's read it together. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it that to you? Or what is that to you? Uh, Lord, we do love your word, and we pray, God, that you will be in our word uh, in this time as we uh, dive into it to try to understand what all you're wanting us to see. Thank you. Amen. All right, so what's interesting is, again, we've been doing these, these uh, witness accounts where people are, you know, where the disciples are experiencing Jesus uh, for the first time or second or third time after um, he was risen. And um, this one is entitled, or is titled, Jesus and John. But I find it funny because if, if you didn't, I mean, you just read it with me, like, Really, it has very little to do with John. It has more to do with Peter. And isn't that, I mean, once we dive into this, you guys are going to see this, but isn't that just the perfect Peterism, where literally it's supposed to be about somebody else, but actually Peter took the whole, you know, he, he took the, the, the stage, you know, because he just can't shut up. He just cannot, uh, he just seems to always get himself into trouble. And I, I, and I, I think I've said this, I'm a Peter and I get myself into trouble a lot. I'm very much like Peter. So um, this, this message was perfect for me and I hope it's perfect for you as well. So first things first, before we dive into the scripture exactly, we're going to actually talk about John for a moment. Because we don't really get to know much about John through the passage. We get to uh, talk a little bit about John and other ways that we know about John. Um, I'm going to take. I'm going to make some very um, broad statements instead of going in and diving into all the places where we find some of these things. Um, I will talk a little bit about that, but um, but just I'm going to give you like a generalizations that we know about John. One of the things that we know about John is that he was a faithful guy, and uh, you know. There were a, quite a few of the disciples that I wouldn't have considered very faithful. Um, one very specific one is going to be Peter. We know that Judas was not faithful. As, at this point, we really know that he was the ultimate not faithful one out of all of them because he betrayed him. Um, but, you know, there's, there's other understandings of how Matthew would have probably not been really that faithful because he was torn between, you know, serving uh, Rome and serving, you know, trying to serve God um, or try to be a part of Jesus's crew. So there's a lot of questions that are going on. There's quite a few unfaithful people in the disciples. But John was not one of those. He was a faithful disciple. John was known as the beloved, the one loved. That's why in his gospel, every single time, by the way, John wrote the gospel, so it's funny because every single time he says the one that Jesus loved, um, you know, maybe that's a little pompous, but maybe it's not, you know? I like to believe, and I just want you to encourage you, that it's actually okay for you uh, to at least believe this, maybe not verbalize it, but to believe that, hi, I'm Brandon, 
I'm the one that Jesus loves. It's okay to do that. I wouldn't do that in front of people because that does seem a little pompous, but that is true. And you should just let that sink in for a moment that you are one that Jesus loves. All of your scars, all of your mess-ups, all of the things that have happened, your, his love for you never changes. It's impossible for him to not love you. We are actually also called the beloved many times in the Bible as well. So it's not just John, but he was specifically known as, John was known as the beloved, okay? Um, another thing about John is he was a very personal friend of Jesus. Now, you would think that all the disciples were personal friends, and yes, they were. But there was something special about John that really connected with Jesus, and um, we see this, you know, in, in a, it, I didn't get, do the painting, but there's a painting, uh, uh, I believe it's Da Vinci, or is it Van Gogh? Who did the, uh, the, um, the Last Supper painting? Da Vinci. Da Vinci, okay, Da Vinci. Um, anyway, so, I didn't do that, but if you ever look at that, you're going to see John essentially laying on Jesus, or, or, or this, this leaning over, right? Um, what we read actually in the Bible is that he is leaning or even laying on him. And uh, one of the things that we don't understand in that in, in our culture is when a man lays on another man, it seems a little strange. But to them, they're, they're, they're touching and, and holding hands and, and being more physical is actually not that weird for them. It actually is an endearing thing and it means a lot to each other to be that way. And so you can actually see based off of how physical they are on how close they may be. Uh, because they would actually kiss absolute strangers. So that kind of gives you an idea. The closer they are, the more um, personal of a friend. So we see that at the Last Supper and, and it's in not just in the painting, but it's actually in the, the written word of it as well. Um, he, it's, it's when he, he lays down and he whispers to Jesus, he says, who's going to betray you, right? There was, a, there was this, this, this uh, intimacy that John had. Another thing was John was trusted to be the caretaker of Jesus' mother. I mean, you can't be more of a personal friend than somebody who's going to take care of your mom when, when you die, you know? Um, you know, I honestly... I mean, I'd, I'd like to say that I have a friend in mind right now that I would leave my mom to, but to be honest, I'm not really sure I even have one right now. Like, I, like that closeness of a relationship with somebody, I just don't have, you know, and, and I wish I did, but, but I, you know, it's just an understanding that that relationship is really close to be able to say, you're gonna take care of my mom. And not only that you're gonna take care of my mom, but that John was willing to do it. See, that's another thing. I actually could think of some people, some very great people that are good friends of mine that would be responsible enough to take care of my mom in her old age. But I'm not sure they would wanna do it. And if you've met my mom, you would know why. You know, that my mom's awesome, she's great. Um, she'd be a handful though, I'll just be honest, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so John was trusted to be the caretaker of Jesus, and then also John was there watching Jesus die for the sins of man. That's another thing is John, if, you know, there were many people there watching him, but 
John, it, it, they actually specifically say that John is there staring at this thing and experiencing this. We know that Peter did not. We know that. We know that not all the disciples were there. So John was very much there watching this and actually understood the gravity of what was actually happening. And there were others there too, but this is another part of his personality, is that he was willing to endure the hard things. He's a guy who endures, he's faithful, as I said earlier. Another thing, John did not betray. John did not deny. These are things, betrayal, Judas, denial, Peter. John seemed to be slow to speak. He was not known for somebody who just spoke whenever he wanted to, like we know about Peter. And I'm saying a lot about Peter right now, because Peter's connected to the scripture in a big way. And then another thing is it seems like John is slow to anger, he's a listener, and he's a long sufferer. We see that later on in, in the other books that he writes, and the other experiences that he has, that he is. And the re one of the reasons why we know he's a long sufferer is because he is actually, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but he's the only disciple that lived until old age and died at old age. It doesn't mean that he didn't suffer just as bad as those guys. It just means that death by rocks or death by upside down hanging or whatever was not his future. Instead, he had to live with those wounds and deal with those wounds until the very end of his life um, and very end of his old age. So he was known for these things, and this is important. Uh, some of these things he's more known for later on, but he was known for these things even before um, these traits. And again, this is important because when we jump into this scripture, we're going to try to understand why none of this seems to be about John and Peter seems to take the stage. So let's read it. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? It's interesting, what about this man? And, and, you know, again, John wrote this, okay? John wrote this, so John wrote, uh, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, he's trying to make this point. I, yes, I was the one who was close to Jesus like that. I was the one who was willing to ask that question when everybody else wasn't willing to ask that question. Um, and so we're getting to know John by him being the writer in a lot of ways and how he's writing, um, not so much by the narrative. But what Peter ends up doing is he ends up saying, saying to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? It's interesting. We don't know if Jesus would have included John in his addresses to the disciples. We don't know that. Um, all we know is that Peter forced the, the, the hand of Jesus in a weird way by bringing him up. What about John? What about this guy? We see here where Peter's heart was at, where his heart was after the conversation with Jesus. And ultimately where we all find ourselves at some point in our walk with God. So Peter had just, if you, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, we had talked about Peter being uh, basically them sitting um, at the beach cooking on a coal fire, 
Jesus, or the, Jesus is, is doing that intentionally to remind Peter of all of his, uh, of his sins because the coal fire connected to um, the coal fire that happened on the night that he denied him. Okay, He was by that same fire. So um, there's this reality that Peter had just kind of been smacked in the face a little bit. Now, he also had been encouraged as well because later on he says, go feed my sheep, go do this, go do that. Because I'll tell you this, this is one thing to encourage you. And again, I do think this applies to all of us um, to some degree, is even when God reminds you of your mistakes and he doesn't do it in a way where he's trying to hurt you. He's actually doing it in a way to try to remind you that even though you've done these things, he still gives you this opportunity to partner with him for the rest of your life to share the greatest news ever, that the sins and the mistakes that you have don't matter anymore because of what Jesus did. See, it comes with this great responsibility and this great um, honor I like to use. The word honor is a huge deal. We are, it's so honoring to know that Jesus has given us this even though we don't deserve to be in even the conversation with him. And so that's what happened. Peter was now, he was slapped in the face a little bit, reminded of his sins, reminded of the issues. And of course, Peter had already been just mulling over it a time, which we already talked about a couple weeks ago. But now Peter is done. We're done with that conversation and they're getting up. I don't know how to like fully think of the, the experience, but they just ate for breakfast and they're probably doing a cleanup. And um, I don't know about you guys. This is, this is, this is a, a, again, I'm a Peter, okay? So this is a branded personality. And what would happen is after me and my wife had a great conversation and it was kind of hard, but we're starting to see the positive end. Of, of the, you know, of a conversation, like an argument or whatever, like we're starting to come with some resolve and we're kind of put together the pieces that maybe, you know, we were trying to figure out and we're getting up and, and we're even smiling a little bit. Maybe we even hugged, okay? To get a hug after an argument is a big deal, right? But, you know, maybe we've had a hug. Maybe that's happened. And then as we're walking out the door of our bedroom or wherever we are, I will turn around and I'll just blast something else that because I'm an idiot and I everything was good and I should have just kept my mouth shut because I had something else unresolved that I thought maybe this is, was a great time to deal with that. And by the way, it was not a great time and it never is and it always ends bad, okay? This is very similar to what Peter's doing. They're getting, he's getting ready, they're getting ready to go. And then, and, and Peter's like mulling over all these things and he's like, well, I have this responsibility. And then he's like looking and he looks over at John. He says, but Jesus, what about this guy? Why aren't you going to remind him of all of his sins? Why aren't you going to tell him all the things he has to do? And ultimately, what he actually is saying is, what about him and his death? What about him and what's going to happen to him? You already told me, which by at the end of the last one we talked about, uh, Jesus actually tells him that he's going to die a really bad death. It doesn't say exactly what the death is going to be, but it's going to be of martyrdom. Martyrdom. And, and Peter is feeling like um, fear, and he's feeling whatever feelings, because I don't know all the feelings that he was feeling at the time, but there's something going on that he has these intense feelings, and he feels like he needs to put it on somebody else as well. But I want to know that everybody else's life is going to suck too, you know? And I don't know about you guys, but I, I do too. <laughs> 
I do too. When my life is not going well, my favorite thing is to find out other people that are not doing things that are not going well too. So at least I don't feel alone. At least I don't feel alone. And that, don't get me wrong, that's my flesh and I don't always do it. But there are moments where I desire to see other people fail. Okay? Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a, there was a um, I don't know, was it a YouTube thing? I don't remember if it was YouTube or Facebook or what it was. But there was something called Fail Army. Hashtag Fail Army or something. Anyway, doesn't matter. It was these videos of people trying to do things really crazy and they fail and they fall and they hurt themselves. Man, is that entertaining. It is wonderful watching people do the stupid things you kind of wish you could have tried, but you didn't and you're just glad that you didn't because you see all these, these things. I mean, that, that's kind of the deal. It's like, there's, we kind of want that. We want to know that people are in this with us. That's the positive, though. If you look at it that way, you know, I don't think everything that Peter was going through was all negative. I think it was human. That's the most important thing. It wasn't because he's this horrible sinner. He was, by the way. But it wasn't because of that. It's because he's human. And we all want to know that we're with others that are also dealing with things. Because it makes us not feel alone. So a few things... He feels the gravity of his own responsibility and wants others to feel it too. And what I call that is, and I'm just calling that, I'm making up a complex, okay? The unfair complex. And I'm, I'm making this up because I have kids. And I'll tell you one thing that I've learned is when kids um, are, are, you know, being told they have to go and you know, whatever, do the dishes, dig a hole, do whatever it is. I hate that digging a hole is actually part of my, my world, but yes, we've dug lots of holes, unfortunately. Um, trying to dig ourselves out of a hole is what we're trying to do. Um, but the reality is we have things we have to do, responsibilities that have to happen, and, um, and you know, the worst is going to bed, bedtime, okay? When you have, we're gonna talk about parenting and stuff in a couple weeks, but when you have eight kids, and I'm not saying it's not hard in any other number, so I'm not saying that I've got it worse than you guys. Um, I do have more, so it, you know, more problems, because people are problems, right? Humans are problems. But anyway, ultimately, bedtime is the worst thing ever, okay? I don't care how many kids you have, when you tell them when there is a bedtime, they absolutely do not want it to be. And I'll, it doesn't matter how, like, how late it gets, because there's moments where we've said, oh, sure, you could go to bed at 11. Oh, man, they yell just as bad when it was 9 o'clock. They're not thinking that it's two hours later. They're just thinking that there's a limit to how long I can stay up. And yet they also are mad in the morning when they're really tired when I make them wake up at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and they think that it could be, you know... Anyway, you guys get what I'm saying. So, here's the deal. The unfair complex is when you tell some people to go to bed, but the others don't have to go to bed, you're going to experience the unfair complex because the first thing is going to be, but they don't go to bed at this time. They don't do this. And it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter anything. We have, you know, 17-year-olds that complain about how somebody else is not going to bed. And it's funny because I go to bed probably an hour or two earlier than they do nowadays. So if we want to really get into age and whatever, I think it's unfair that they 
that they even have the energy to stay up. That's what I want to say. That's the unfair complex that I have, you know, because I'd love to go to sleep. Anyway, so the point is, is that we all experience it. I'm just making it human, trying to help you understand the unfair complexes. This is a normal human thing, and we deal with it. Another thing that Peter's dealing with is um, something that, that you have to read into this a little bit, but I think it's important anyway. Peter cares for others. Peter does. Peter cares for others. Peter's actual, a lot of his actions later on, especially when you read, um, you know, the spots where he's, you know, a part of the or a part of the letters and everything, you actually will experience that Peter cares for pe- people. He cares for their their um, their understanding. There's a there's a spot I believe in Galatians where um, Peter is actually um, buying into the idea of circumcision because that's what their people want. That's what Jewish the Jews want. Is they want it to still be a thing that's important for their their um, uh, for Christianity. And he he that isn't important, by the way, but. Peter buys into it because he cares and he wants people to be happy and he wants these things. There's other times, but that was just one example that I have in my mind. But Peter, he cares about people, but maybe at an unhealthy level. And that is what we see in Galatians. We also see that in other places. He cares for people in a way that distracts or affects Peter's ministry and life outcome. And I I just made this up, but death by empathy complex. And I don't know about you guys, but I I do have a lot of empathy for people. And I've allowed a lot of people in my life that I probably shouldn't have. There's a reason why, you know, there's there's buzzwords out there like toxic, you know, toxic relationships and, um, you know, uh, you know, trauma and triggering. And these words are there because of relationships that have happened in people's lives and a lot of the time is because you are accepting towards people's things like uh, um, not things, it's not a good word um, you're accepting towards their their their, um, their actions towards you, okay and um, I mean we know this by probably a lot of movies but also this is a reality that uh, women that are abused they end up just accepting that that is just how the man is. And that is a, a, a version of unhealthy empathy because you're feeling, somehow you're able to find a good feeling um, because you're, you're, you're being loving and you're being nurturing by allowing them to be the way that they are. And that is a wrong way of, of accepting, tolerating, fill in the blank, and that is kind of what ends up happening. Well, Peter does this and has gotten himself into a lot of trouble many times because of things that he accepts others doing and, and all that, okay? So this is another thing that even though I said we have to read into it because there's a lot of other places in the Bible that we see this, but I just want you guys to see that this is another thing that he's doing is he's caring for John in a weird way, but he's like, but yeah, what about him? What about his call? What about his thing? So it doesn't matter on whether it is a negative comparison or if it's a positive comparison. It's still comparison. And this is what Jesus wants us to see. This is the next. This is his reply. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I mean, that's a shutdown. That's a shutdown. 
It doesn't matter. Who cares about what you think about John or what I think about John or what you want John to do or whatever. And I want you to pray, uh, before we get into the next three words, which is like the biggest part of this whole thing, I want you to start putting that in your mind every single time you're comparing yourself to somebody else's life. And I, I promise you, you're going to do this. You're going to compare. You're going to compare, what, you know, at the simplest form, you're going to compare your neighbor's house to your house. You're going to compare, you know, I lost my job, but this other person didn't lose their job that we, you know, we work together. Or for some reason, I'm not able to, you know, sell this house or do this thing or whatever, but these other people are able to do it. They have more talent than I do, or they have, you know, just fill in the blank. There are things to compare yourself to, people to compare yourself to all the time. And I want you to remind yourself that Jesus says, if it is my will that they do those things, what is that to you? What is that to you? All it is, I will tell you what that is to you, is a crutch, an hindrance, a stumbling block, and it's just going to mess with you. That's what it is. It's going to mess with you, and it's going to stop you from doing the very thing that Jesus wants you to do, which is the next three words. You follow me. And there's some really cool things here with this phrase. You follow me. One, I find very interesting is the first time I read this recently when I was starting to study this, is I actually read it in this way. Jesus said to me, or said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I, for some reason, put the emphasis on follow. I don't know why I did, but I just, as you read sometimes, you're not really thinking of where the emphasis should be, and I put the emphasis on follow. Why did that matter? Um, it matters to me because it feels very um, abrasive to some degree to say, you follow me, follow me, come on, follow me. I almost took out the you if you think about it. But... When I do this, and I know that this might only be a me thing, but when I change it to you follow me, what that reminds me is not only do I follow him and I need to follow him, but it reminds me that I don't follow myself. You follow me. You don't follow you. You don't follow John. The follow... When I put you follow me, for some reason, connects it to maybe Peter, in a weird way, almost kind of wants to live John's life and wishes he could, he could live John's life instead of his own life. And that is a really bad version of covetousness. I mean, it is a serious offense because what you're saying is my life is not worth living. My life is not... Um, it, no matter the hard things I'm going to go through, I'm a failure, or I'm not going to be good at this, or not, I'm not going to be effective, or I'm not going to whatever. You know, in the music industry, I, which is what I do with the rest of my, my week a lot of the time, um, it's a very big thing because um, when you're 40 years old, which I turned 40 recently, you feel like you are the oldest man ever in the music industry because everybody is 20. And they are, uh, you think this, which is not totally true, but the, the su successful ones, the ones that are getting successful at that moment are young because it is a young man's game is what they say. 
And the reality is, is that I am fighting within myself that I'm not worthy anymore, that I have no, nothing to bring to the table. And anybody who's in a creative field, I feel like that's a thing. Um, and I don't know if Steve, you ever feel this way, but you're seeing all these young bucks doing all these really amazing graphic artists, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess creating art and all that kind of stuff, and it looks so cool and so hip and all these things, and, and you're like, man, I, I just don't see it like they see it because they're young man's game, you know? But the reality is, is that uh, Christianity and mission is not a young man's game, okay? So that was my point, is that there's a lot of things in this world that feels like a young man's game. And by me even saying young man's game, as I'm, I'm alluding to, um, I know for you, I know most of you guys, if you are in that late 30s into your you know, 50s and 60s, um, somebody that's really good at playing a game, you guys love pickleball, which you're really good at pickleball, so this might not apply very well, but I know that there's somebody that's 20 years old that could kick your butt. And there's nothing you can do about it. Your body is limited. You can't do it. Even though you've got the mind and you can do it, you just can't do it. And that's because the world is a young man's game. But eternity and God's kingdom is not a young man's game. But it is just a man's game and a woman's game. By the way, I'm using those connected just so you know. Okay? FYI. And so it is very, very important that we realize that this is, you cannot covet somebody else's life. You cannot because it will mess you up forever. It'll mess you up because what they get to do, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing, you think is what you want and that it'll set you free. Anybody that doesn't have a lot of money would like to have a lot of money. I don't know many people with a lot of money that wishes they didn't have a lot of money. I'll just say that. But I can understand that, that there's a freedom that comes without the responsibility of a lot of money that I know that deep down inside, some people that have a lot of money wishes they didn't have that responsibility. It doesn't really matter the actual thing you're coveting. Coveting somebody else's life is not only a sin, but it's destructive. It's destructive. And that is what Peter is doing. And that's why I feel like this is a witness account for John because it's actually pointing out how John being quiet, being somebody who's not going to put himself in front of you and try to take the stage and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is even saying what's gonna happen to him later on in his life. I want to talk a little bit more about comparison and then we'll move forward. How many times do we jump to comparison? We have a whole device based on this. What device am I talking about? Your cell phone. Your cell phone is a comparison device. And the reason why I say that is because you're probably looking at some kind of social media on your phone and there is no purpose in social media other than finding out what other people are doing. Literally, there's no purpose in it. You want to know what's happening in somebody else's life. Now, you might be edified by it, and that's okay, because some people are really great, and they say really great things, and you can get information from it. It's not always bad. But ultimately, the sin that you're going to find yourself falling into is comparison when you do that. I would even say texting and phone calls is similar. Why? Because it can 
It can lead to gossip. It can lead to talking about other people's lives. That is comparison. Now, I'm, this, this whole thing was not saying yourself, you should throw all your cell phones in the garbage. If you have an iPhone you want to throw away, I have somebody who needs one, so feel free. But I, all I'm going to say is that, uh, is that we have to be careful because this life is not getting easier. This world is not getting easier to stop us from this sin. It's actually getting harder. And, you know, I, I am old enough to remember there weren't cell phones. And there weren't when I was in high school. I am, I'm actually glad there was not a cell phone in, in, in high school for me. Because, to be really honest, and especially one with a smartphone, because I got into a lot of trouble without it. And I know it'd be easier for me to get in trouble with it. I had to actually, you know, secretly talk to them on a phone inside my house where my parents could hear on the bad things that we're going to go and do, you know. I didn't have to do that if I had a cell phone, right? So, um, but ultimately, life is getting harder. The world is getting harder. Um, and it is true. We hear that. We hear, you know, old, you know, old people saying, well, back in my day and all that kind of stuff. I'm that guy now. I'm the 40-year-old saying back in my day. But that's because back in their day, it was just slightly easier to, you know, not screw up. Okay? You did screw up. They still screwed up. They're sinners from all, from the beginner. From the beginning, as we know. That's why we're in this place. Because we believe in Adam and Eve, and they failed, and from that point on, continue to fail, and all of Israel failed, and I can go through the whole Bible, Every, everybody has failed and screwed up. But it was a little easier to, to, to not do it, I guess, maybe. Anyway, if, and then, um, let's see here. Let's look at the next verse. Let's just move on. Okay, so, so the saying spread up abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until to come, what is that to you? Now, guys, what this is, in a weird way, it's like, this is just a reminder that the Bible is written by men, okay? Now, I believe that it's inherent and infallible or whatever. I do believe 100% that this is God-breathed and God wants us to do it. I don't have any question on that. But this is one of those moments where you can actually see the, the man that's writing it. We actually get to know John a little bit because what John is doing is he's actually writing in here. He's letting them know. He says, yet yeah, Jesus did not actually say this, that he was not going to die. See, there was a rumor based off of just him saying, if it is my will that he remain until he come, until I come, what is that to you? There is this rumor that happened basically all the way through John's life until the very end that John was never going to die. He had obviously um, was able to get out of dying and being martyred all those times. Every single disciple had died and martyred him and lots of other uh, ones that we don't know about that weren't written about in the Bible, also died for the sake of the, the gospel. But John did not, and everybody felt like this, and so John had to make sure that it was very clear. I don't know how old he was, if anybody knows how old he was when he wrote this, I'd love to know that, but I just imagine that he's this old, frail man going, no, I'm definitely going to die. You know, like, he, like, he didn't die yet because he's writing the book, but I mean, he's like, no, definitely going to die, not going well, okay? It's basically, I think, is what's going on in his brain. 
And, um, and that's because it's important that even though um, Jesus might have said something like that, what was the real purpose? And we're just going to talk about the real purpose, which we talked about comparison and all that. But um, one hand, on one hand, John wants to set this straight and share what the rhetorical reason was, Jesus said in this passage. Uh, Jesus does use rhetoric to do this. Peter needs to focus on his story and no one else's. That is the actual point in that. He needs to stop focusing on other people, focusing on only his. And by the way, that applies to you. I know we've been talking about that, but it applies to you. Stop looking at other people. It's covetous. Co covetousness. It's hard to say that. Um, it is. And so it's a sin. And then the next thing is, but on the other hand, John was still alive to write this and had gone through a long life of ministry. There was a sense where maybe there was a hyperbolic reason for this phrase. And that's something that I believe. Maybe he wouldn't live forever, which we know he didn't, but longer than the rest. See, we already talked about his character. We already talked about all the things that he did. You know, it makes sense that Peter's going to die for the sake of the gospel because Peter's going to say something really stupid and somebody's going to kill him. You know, like he's going to say the good things. He's going to say the gospel. By the way, there are people that are doing great things for the Lord out there. Great things for the Lord. And they still say stupid things. There are people that have gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saved, thousands of people saved, and yet they, we find out that they failed. Um, there's many popular ones, and, and instead of just defacing people, I don't want to do that, but there have been quite a few over the last five to ten years of very popular pastors. We're dealing with the Hillsong people right now, but seriously... Every camp, every denomination has had somebody who has made some serious mistake, even though they did a lot of great things for the gospel. And I'm not saying that Peter died because of his, uh, because of his failures, but what I will say is that it makes sense that somebody who cannot seem to shut up about anything is going to get himself into a problem. But John, being a faithful one, John being one who is slow to listen, I mean slow to, slow to speak, quick to listen, soft-spoken, gentle, all these things, and guess what? He's the one who lives the rest, of, the rest of his life. And so I think there's some virtues that we get to see that I think is something that we can strive for. We can strive for these things. I'm going to read that first thing that I said. And I really believe that this is something we can strive for. You're not going to do it without the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do it without, uh, you know, recognizing Jesus as the one who has given you the power to be able to do this. But I do want you to know that these are important. Again, John was faithful. He was known as the beloved. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful. If you're not naturally a faithful person, I want you to become a faithful person. And I, it is going to take work. And I don't want to say that it's all your strength, but it's going to take work to be faithful. You have to decide to show up every day. You know, we have a, we have a, 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 a time right now where, again, it's going to be me, old man complex or whatever, but I'm going to say that we have a Gen Z or whatever generation we want to say that literally the reason why they're not keeping their jobs is because they just straight up sometimes just think that they don't need to go. I mean, I have lots of business owner friends of mine, and 
they can't even fire people anymore for not showing up because if they did, they have no employees. I mean, legitimately, we have an ice cream, we have a friend who owns an ice cream shop and they literally have to have like 10 more employees than they need because they know somebody's not gonna show up for no real apparent reason. And that is just the reality. Faithfulness is not a thing right now. Faithfulness is not a gift. And, and not, I mean, I know that we can look at the faithfulness of being faithful to God or having faith in God. I wanna look at this as a virtue. It's just being consistent. Being somebody who shows up and who actually cares and wants to and buys into things. And I, I think that that's church here, that's this too, but it's also people in your life. People need you to be consistent and faithful. Ultimately, God wants you to be. John was known as beloved. Another thing I want you to do is I want you to remind yourself again, like I said in the beginning, I am loved by God. I want you to experience love from God. I want you to feel love from God. It's easy to say, I know God's good. I know God loves me, but man, my life sucks, and I just don't see him in my life. I don't see God's love. I don't see God's this. That is why people are deconstructing and why people are doing all the things they're doing right now. It's because they, they know something, but they're not experiencing it, and I want you to experience it. I don't know, I don't have the trick on how to experience it, because that's something that God does, but I, but I think you need to just try to experience God's love. You need to just say, God, I want to experience your love. And um, one of the things that I learned at our retreat this last year, or this last month, last month, yeah, um, was that Jesus is enough. I want Jesus to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. I need him to do this. But Jesus says, yeah, I might do those things. And I love you and I want these things for you. But even if I didn't do that, I'm enough for you. That is me experiencing God's love at that moment because I realize, wait, Jesus died for my sins. Why do I need anything else? Why do I need anything else? Um, a few more things. John was a very personal friend of Jesus. I want you to be a personal friend of Jesus. This seems weird, but if you need to practice this, do it. Pray and say, friend, Jesus, you're my friend. I seriously need help with this. You don't talk to God as he's a friend. It's okay to do that. Um, another thing, John was trusted to be the caretaker of Jesus' mother. Be somebody who's trustworthy. And I know this seems intense because I'm telling you what you need to be and I, you cannot do without God, but I will tell you that if you want to see you want to see God really do awesome things in your heart and in your life and know that God's there, you do need to strive for some of these things. It doesn't save you. I just want to make that very clear. Jesus saves you by a gift of grace, and it's nothing you can do to earn it. But if you want to experience some things in your life that are, that are life-giving, it's going to be deciding to be trustworthy. You can decide that because you do choose to not be trustworthy sometimes, too. And then 
John was there watching Jesus die for the sin of man, that's going to be the thing we're going to end on. What we're going to do is we're going to do communion. And this is something that I believe that is very important for us to have the virtues of John as well, is going to be that we actually reflect on Jesus and what he did for our sins. Like actually gaze your eyes on the cross today. Gaze your eyes on the cross just like he did. And I promise you, I'm not saying you need to cry today or, or you're in trouble, okay? But I'm going to say I guarantee you that John was crying when he saw Jesus die, okay? Now, I understand, I don't know, how many of you guys went to the, the Good Friday service? I know there were some, okay? Well, I did. And my kids couldn't stop me from crying. Like, I was crying for like almost... I don't know, maybe 30 minutes afterwards, and it was really weird for them. But, but I, for whatever reason, during that experience, which I've done that experience before, was so moving to me because I, I was reminded the gravity and the weight, the legitimate weight of my sin that was put on Jesus that day. That's what we have to do. G John watched Jesus die for his sins. And that's what we're going to do today, is we are going to, um, we're going to do communion. Justin, I'm going to have you come and lead communion. Um, but I just want you to just gaze upon Jesus today, and, and just the gravity of what he did for you. Um, this is important for us as, uh, as Christians.